to another episode of Plastic Climate Future in the special series with Circularize about sustainable polymer technologies. And uh, on the other side of the screen, I have again Mespa with me tonight. And I think we're both super excited to have a very special expert from the space of circular economy with us tonight and Mespa I give it to you, you can announce the name if you want <laughs> of course, so today we're here with Christian Kruger from BASF and we are extremely interested in, um, you know, where, where, where Christian is coming from, um, you know how your career led you to be at this point um, and also, you know you know, a little bit about yourself and your background. Maybe let's start there, Chris. Yeah, uh, I think I start really because I have a long sustainability journey already and also in chemistry. So um, I think... <laughs> <laughs> we have time, Christian. We have time. We can talk until late. <laughs> My first touch point was actually in school already. Yeah. So in school, I was really interested on environmental impacts. Yeah. So, um, so that started at really at that time, yeah, my interest in, 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 in something in, in environment. And for sure, okay, if, uh, if you want to study natural science, okay, you can study, uh, I have chosen chemistry and especially polymer chemistry. I'm a polymer chemist expert where I did my PhD as well, also here in Germany. And uh, then I had the, the good chance to, to start in, in, in maybe one of the best companies uh, for us as German chemists. It was BSF uh, or is still BSF at this time in um, R&D where I developed um, yeah, polymers, not real plastics, but it was polymers, functional polymers in different applications, agrochemical applications or uh, detergent applications. I worked together with Henkel, for example, on... on, on the next generation of Persil uh, detergents. Uh, so I also get into contact to consumers already and, and the impact what uh, a product can have on consumers. And also environmental and health aspects plays a big role. Um, so I came also in contact with that. And um, and then I changed to, to the development department where I, I really did uh, a lot of projects around um, how those polymers um, have um, yeah, a performance in the applications also in the environment and and it was environmental friendly products in the end. For example, formaldehyde free binders for architectural coatings, you know what you have here, you see here the gray wall and there's probably also BSF inside. So BSF is almost everywhere. Yeah. And um, so I had to think about also the next uh, generation of uh, what what the society needs and therefore environmental impacts was, was always uh, important in my in my career and then at a certain point in time you come to a point where you say what's next yeah and and when you count now environment uh, polymers uh, uh, impacts um, and and also your passion because passion is I think very important in your in your career um, uh, then I thought about what would be the next step. And then I turned really away from the business unit um, to, the, to the BSF Sustainability Competence Center, what it was called, yeah, which was in the EHS department. And then I learned how to assess sustainability, but really from a very, very scientific 
way. Yeah, so I did really e-coefficiency analysis, which BSF developed, I think, 25 years ago. And we were the first uh, in the industry, in the chemical industry, doing that. And uh, I remember there was one uh, study where we, um, where we studied the environmental impacts of an old chemical uh, landfill. Yeah, and, um, and that was my longest study. I think it was one year together with um, big partners also outside of BSF. And after I thought analyzing is one thing, but applying it or consulting or advising something yeah, to make really impact, to make change, then I got the opportunity to go into our applied sustainability department in our corporate unit. And uh, there I consulted um, uh, business units, business divisions, big ones, um, uh, which have in total 10 billion euro today. Yeah? And uh, it was the care chemicals business and the dispersion pigments business. And, um, and there I helped them to implement the sustainability strategy, to assess the risks, what they have to face out maybe the most critical products, um, uh, how to uh, generate business cases, uh, where on the one hand you have impact on sustainability, but on the other hand you have also a business value. And because um, you also know if you want to have a positive environmental impact, uh, it should not go against the economics because otherwise a company cannot survive. Yeah, uh, so you have to find this compromise uh, even. And they did a lot um, for those. And uh, this care chemicals business also covered this this very yeah quite disputed topic of pine. Yeah, um, so I was um, because BSF is the biggest consumer industrial consumer of pine-based products. So we have a responsibility and I felt this responsibility also, uh, you know, about deforestation or, um, or other things um, which are related to that. And then, um, then uh, we had more the topic because it's a strategic department. We evolved from an EHS department to a strategic department to so the heart of BSF. And then we said, okay, what's next? And uh, and then I came uh, to my next position in sustainability that was circular economy. I was a circular economy expert in this. Uh, and, uh, and my role was to bring in renewable and recycled feedstock in our value chains. Because BSF is still very much linear. We have, I think, five to six percent of our share of, of feedstocks is still is circular, so bio mainly but no, almost no recycling and uh, the main value chains were 100% fossil. So that was a really a good chance for me to change something, yeah? to really bring also your, all your expertise and your passion into the game and, and, and start to develop um, concepts which are eligible also for, for a business case and which have an impact not only on our company to change, but also to have an impact to our society that we can offer. And that was uh, Alan's uh, principle in the end. Um, what you need um, for the next probably yeah, 20 years or more. <laughs> Some people say, is there an end of mass balance? I don't believe, but okay. Yeah. Um, that's still, <laughs> this, you can discuss that. And, uh, and, the, and in this role, I, it was really great because I could um, bring in my expertise in purchasing so upstream, what is going on there, down to the region of a waste, of a renewable, even down to, back to the fields, yeah, and 
bringing in that to BSF, so production processes, networks, complex chemistry, uh, down to the applications, then customers, because you have to develop uh, concepts, marketing concepts, which 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 work, um, and uh, and that was really great. Um, and in the end, uh, uh, I was doing this job I think for two three years now, and um, this year I changed then to a more implementing strategic unit unit, and not a developing strategic unit, but a uh, implementing strategic unit, because BSF has a net zero division because we want to become net zero um, uh, in in two thousand fifty. And um, and all of the technologies, what are um, what we are developing, what we have, what we want to scale up, uh, is bundled there. And there is one bucket um, which is uh, chem cycling or chemical recycling. And uh, I'm leading their team now for regulatory affairs and sustainability. And uh, so so that means that I'm helping to to really set the frameworks um, in policy to which standards are necessary, uh, which, um, uh, yeah, we evaluate for sure the environmental impacts by LCA, uh, for example, or even the EHS risks, what comes with chemical recycling is assessed also in my, my team. And also the communication is also there. So it's also important how to bring this complex topic of chemical recycling and all those, those uh, related uh, um, um, topics which are um, popular in the environment, in the in the society, how to communicate that? Yeah, not only to a stakeholder like policy, but also to a stakeholder like experts, um, also to stakeholders like brands. Yeah, um, and therefore our communication people are responsible for. And I'm very happy and still passionate um, to bring in my all my expertise there and with with me and my team, and uh, that keeps me young, hopefully for some time, hopefully still. And uh, yeah, so there I'm, 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 I'm still there and uh, still in the circular economy world. And um, yeah, hopefully for some time still in front of me. <laughs> yeah, and, and this point, I think it's also worth mentioning because probably not everyone knows that actually BASF is, a, is not a small company. And um, if you pass by uh, Ludwigshafen, you see that it's actually almost like an own city with its own infrastructure. So it's not only plastics that we're talking about. So uh, BASF is doing a lot of other chemicals that are being used, as you just mentioned, basically everywhere in the in in the, in the industry. Um, and how much? of this is related to polymers now that you are working on, like, you know, percentage wise. And you mentioned also, you know, the, the topic of chemical recycling. Is this then focusing within your role only on polymeric uh, yeah, uh, products or is it is it also involving other um, product groups? I think polymers is, is a very, very big share of our um or polymer segment, let's say, yeah, because we only not only producing polymers or plastics, which we then sell to downstream, but we are also producing intermediates or uh, additives uh, which go into plastics or into polymers. Yeah, so if you if you overall count that, I would assess, yeah, that roughly half of our turnover goes into into somehow polymers. Yeah, maybe not directly, but indirectly as well. So so that's a, a huge. Uh, 
the proportion of BSF is really, um, uh, if we have now 87 billion euro of turnover in tw uh, 2022, so I would assess really it's more than 40 billion euro, which goes in the, in the end to the polymers uh, part. Um, but, you know, plastics is one, but polymers, as for example, the binders here in this wall uh, coating, um, that's another application, but that's a so-called functional polymer, as you can say, or, or functional polymers going to detergents, um, uh, but it's a major share of PSF, yes. So can, can you say that basically, like, say, I don't know, more than 60% of your work is related to plastics then? Uh, my current work is chemical recycling. Um, yes, this is very much related to to to, to plastics. Yeah, first because uh, the feedstock what we're using comes from plastics. So chemical recycling says already. So you need a plastic waste, and a plastic waste is uh, um, with different technologies. And we are doing uh, many different chemical recycling technologies, not only pyrolysis and gasification, but also depolymerization. Mm -hmm. We are also using dissolution uh, um, uh, recycling. And um, and this, we you are turning then a plastics into a, yeah, a monomer or uh, a basic chemical building block where we can build up um, new um, um, plastics again and as well mm -hmm. as chemicals. Yeah, or polymers, you can say. Chemicals is also, some functional polymers are covered under the chemicals uh, segment. And um, and this is a, is done in an integrated production. Yeah, it's not separated. Yeah, mm -hmm. so you can, Ludwigshafen, for yeah. example, um, there are more than 220 plants um, and it's the world's largest integrated production network. So probably the most complicated uh, in the world. And we are producing probably more than 10,000 products out of thousands of feedstocks and intermediates what we are purchasing. So very, very complex. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. so we always say if something works at BSF, a new concept, then it works for the whole chemical industry. So that's a little bit of a rule for <laughs> <laughs> out there, yeah? because the typical plastics industry, like think about the polyolefins, for example, these are very much linear value chains, and uh, and BSF is a very much branched and complex production network where where carbons and hydrogen are going to the one value chain, then to the other value chain again, and then back uh, because we want not to incinerate our own uh, waste again. Yeah, we are utilizing as much material as possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, and saving there actually for a boom site like Lutixar, we are saving. I think it's 1 million tons of uh, CO2 every year just because of a big site, yeah? if you would compare them with an isolated site. And, uh, and that is really fantastic. I think when you come to Ludwigshafen, I can show you some things, what we are doing and how complex it is. And, uh, and then you can imagine, for example, Silicon Arise is, is, is uh, developing a software and it works at BSF and it works for all chemical companies. <laughs> <laughs> well, then challenge, yeah, I would, you, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would say challenge <laughs> and invitation and invitation accepted. We'll come to Ludwigshafen to make it work. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Well, thank th thanks for that great uh, introduction, also in your career and, and where you come from. That's uh, very inspiring, and and it's been a long journey, I guess, right? And in, in, in many many years at BSF uh, with different different functions. So. 
as, as a pioneer of both mass balancing as well as chemical recycling, you could play the devil's advocate and say, hey, mass balancing is not, you know, is greenwashing or you could say chemical recycling is not something we should have. Like, how would you how would you respond to that kind of like uh, comments and, and how what, how do you justify from your your personal perspective, you know, why mass balancing is, is kind of the way to go uh, specifically for chemicals and also uh, why chemical recycling and, and, and why is that something that the world really needs? And but before, before you, you start, because, you know, you are both experts in this, but I know me and, and the audience might not be. So maybe just in, in two or three sentences for a five-year-old or your grandma, what is mass balancing? I maybe first uh, Christian and then Mespa. Let's see if it if it if it's gonna be the same. So so me me I was um, I think three four months ago I was in the commission invited yeah, and and uh, to explain why do we need that yeah and why do we need this special model yeah for mass balance because mass balance is so um, so many different versions you have let's call it like that and I always said. If you mix something sustainable, which is new, with conventional feedstock in, the, in, 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 in your production network, yeah, and you, you're using only a little, very little sustainable feedstock with a lot of conventional feedstock, it's highly diluted then. Yeah? Uh, nobody can measure anything in the output side. And then mass balance comes into place. Because then you can attribute this sustainable um, um, benefits to one product or to another product, which then gives really a market value for somebody who will buy that. Yeah, because they're only buying something on the downstream side if they see some impact and some value, which they can also communicate. And, and then they're paying a premium. They are not paying a premium because it's highly diluted and you may, might find 0.1% in the output. Uh, they are not, nobody's paying for that any premium. And then a chemical company uh, could not earn anything in addition, um, uh, which would go against its own uh, um, earnings. And that's for sure not the right way to go for this transformation. Therefore, we need it. Yeah, no, absolutely. F fully agree, by the way. I was playing double with that. So the, the, the way I, 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 I like to explain mass balancing is like, if you have a very complex established system where you have potentially spend billions of euros or dollars into into that system and there is only a very very tiny fraction of new type of material coming into that system uh, practically you can't really justify to segregate that right in most cases especially in plastics and chemicals so it's just it's like practically it doesn't work in theory we wish we could do that right um but because of it being very very expensive and prohibiting uh, any kind of innovation in practice, you want to be able to essentially allocate, as, as Christian is saying, some sort of input to a certain output, even though in practice that might get mixed because of, you know, just limitations of how the system is set up and the amount of investment it would take to set it up differently. In, in a more like uh, setting of, of uh, when, when people become a little bit more um, emotional and to talk, well, I bought something and it was mass balanced. So maybe the product that I bought is not even recycled and it just says it's recycled or it was bio-based, but it's not really bio-based because it's a mass balance claim. And I finally understand what it means. So my product isn't even my bio. Um, I always refer to the question like, why do you buy a bio product? Do you buy 
this sustainable product because you want the sustainable product in your hands? Or do you want to do something good for, you know, let's say climate change or, or, or the atmosphere or, or you want to contribute to something? And if that's the case, should it really matter whether it's attributed or it's the product in your hand? Because we all, ultimately have one atmosphere, right? It really doesn't matter if it's an allocation that is done through mass balancing or you have that final bio-based product in your hands, right? So why do you actually care about this? And if you care about having a recycled products because you want it in your hands, then you shouldn't support mass balancing. Yeah. But if you care about sustainable products because you care about the planet and the atmosphere, then it shouldn't really matter as long as it's done correctly. Exactly. And I think uh, impact is the most important. I want to have an impact on the change. I want to have an impact to be more sustainable. And that's mass balance is offering to you. If I go into a supermarket, I'm buying a fair trade chocolate. I feel good because I know it's something good in the upstream supply chain done because there is some money then spent to laborers or to, to somebody who, who needs that. Yeah. Or I support then also a fair trade chocolate who's, who's, who's done. Yeah. And that's guaranteed by certification schemes and that's trust. A certification scheme gives you trust because it's along the whole supply chain tracked and every supply chain actor is really uh, checked whether he's doing the right things, that there is no double counting allowed. Yeah? And for sure, Circularize has also one solution um, uh, where it's digitalized because it's very complex. So if that is a good system and it works and it's verifiable and validated, then it's even also even better because it helps uh, companies um, to much more easier to check, let independently check that everything is all right, that double counting is excluded. Yeah, I see you must have been super smart five-year-olds because uh, these definitions were uh, very good, but <laughs> also a bit complicated, uh, at least for me. But what, what I understood <laughs> is that um, it's, it's a lot about transparency and it's a lot about traceability in the supply chain. And as uh, I am also from the space of circular economy, I know that materials, especially raw materials, the smaller the, the molecular structure, the earlier they are part in a circular value chain. So they are always right at the beginning of the, of the value chain. And when we see now, we, we talk about traceability and transparency to enable also the yeah, closing the loops in the end because everyone needs to be sure what they get and what they pay for, um, especially companies that are producing uh, these raw materials or, or the materials at the beginning of the value chain. How do you see their role and maybe responsibility? Do they have a special role um, when it comes to building this uh transparent supply chains do they do they also then have a special role in the circular economy uh, transformation i mean i i think that the change um um the responsible for the change is not only at the upstream it's along the whole value chain yeah so therefore partnerships is very important yeah but the responsibility of a manufacturer like like in the upstream um it's 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 for example, I just explained for chemical recycling. On the one hand, we have, a, we have an existing waste, waste issue in Europe, in the world. Yeah? So there's something to be solved. And on the other hand, uh, the chemical industry 
um, especially in Europe, where we have uh, a leading role in the in the in the society also or in the world. Yeah, uh, we need to transform. So we need to do something. Yeah, and and then it fits something together. So there is a feedstock which is there. Yeah, and there are technologies like chemical recycling are there, and there is the need for change. And the need for change comes also from a big pressure from the society because we want to decarbonize and we want to go away from fossil resources. And that both come somehow together. Yeah? So in the end, um, if that fits together, then something evolves along the value chain as a, a force also um, for a successful change. And that's uh, the responsibility what every supply chain actor should have that starts at the waste management thing that uh, comes to, into play at the chemical industry to uptake that yeah, in, a, in the right way. And it comes into play uh, further downstream at the converters and the brands um, who in the end are using that and are marketing that and generating market pool. Yeah. And all those uh, collaboration and this whole transformation that must be supported because it costs still money. Yeah, not only not, not in investing new assets because that's what we want to avoid with mass balance, but also to set the right framework. And therefore, we need policy uh, support also for this transformation. So there is a responsibility not only from a manufacturer; it's a, a responsibility from all the supply chain actors to change here with the support of policy uh, as another stakeholder, which should should really uh, um, set the right framework for that. Otherwise, it's not possible. Same, you could also say for renewables, it's exactly the same play. Yeah? Uh, just in renewables, you have to take care a little bit more about sustainability, especially on the field. Uh, that is a sustainable agriculture, what you're doing. Yeah? And, uh, and also this is guaranteed by transparency and by uh, credibility of, of certification schemes, ensuring that by minimum requirements for sustainability. Yeah, and I think just to add to this, I think what's also important is communicating it because you said it has. There is also a critical role in the society. So I think one crucial thing is creating awareness and communicating also these uh, challenges uh, down not only through the supply chain but down to the consumers. Yeah, exactly. And and I have a I have a, I have a more maybe light question on that Christian have you been able to explain mass balancing to your like spouse or uh, family or friends who are not from the industry because I think that's for me still a challenge <laughs> in a way that they understand it and the, your earlier question man was really valid like how do you explain to a five-year-old like how do you explain to your wife <laughs> if I'm honest I always use uh, uh, an example which people know yeah um, and um, like fair trade chocolate or um FSC for wood, maybe somebody has, has, has recognized that. Or uh, I try to go via labels. Yeah, we are labels which people know. Yeah, and then oh, that's mass balance behind. Yeah, and then you are people are trying. What, what's that? What's what's mass balance? Now I want to know it. What's behind that? Yeah, and then they are interested. If you start uh, uh, explaining that by definition, what is mass balance according to ISO twenty two ninety five? You lose immediately. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's already a lost oh, game. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to make it tangible and you have to bring some 
best practice examples from from daily life and then explain that yeah, yeah. but I find, I, I find still even if you talk about the fsc example and you explain to somebody that's mass balance so the claim is not on your product that you have in your hands that piece of paper but it's an aggregate claim they are shocked they're like really <laughs> right you have to explain and, and still like there there's like a, 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 a moment of disbelief like really it's a, this it's not this paper that i'm holding that is fsc certified but it's like some quantity somewhere <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then i said oh that's uh, if you come with that very immediately i then say oh there's no content in it that not, nothing there this is greenwashing yeah uh, immediately yeah no it's not greenwashing greenwashing is that if you have not fact-based information transforming to 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 somebody uh, uh, which which then misleads uh, in the end that's greenwashing yeah and 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 not uh, exactly yeah. yeah exactly it remains a challenge yeah, but you mentioned uh, now that you mentioned greenwashing. So your approach is, is purely then science based, and, and the tools that you're using to to yeah verify um, the claims is is mainly lifecycle assessments, right? Could be. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the mo what we're using often is is fossil resource saving claims. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, okay. because that's what we are doing. We are uh, substituting fossil feedstocks with sustainable feedstocks, renewables or recycling feedstocks. Um, mm -hmm. And um, so that's the most credible one, what I think. Yeah, If it's going to content, especially to consumers, we have to be really, really careful because exactly that what Masper was also telling, there is no content in it. Yeah, Or there, there often is no, no content in it. And how can you say that there is content that's misleading? So that's a no-go, to my opinion. And brands know that. Yeah. Um, and if you see on FSC, they never call something content. Yeah. I know that there are some, some attempts to, to use this uh, claim uh, um, must balance attributed recycled content. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> yeah, can can somebody on the street understand that? What's the mass balance attributed recycled content? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, probably your kids, the five-year-olds, if you were so smart when the age of five, then your kids probably understand it. <laughs> but that's, uh, <laughs> that's the exception. <laughs> yeah, but that's why that's why I mentioned. I think it's also important to you know involve the the, the general public and and communication strategies that help you know to create this awareness because in the end, if we want to really close the loop. I mean, one of the best examples was uh, using biopolymers and uh, the, what is a biopolymer like? Because people cannot distinguish be, between bio-based and biodegradable. Uh, and then even if you have a product that can be fully recycled or biodegraded, but if at the end of the chain, no one has the knowledge what to do afterwards or there is no infrastructure. It's not going to help in the end. Um, but as you just mentioned, uh, you know, replacing fossil fuels. Um, and since we like to talk about material innovations, 
What kind of, uh, if, you, if we look into the future, like what is kind of sustainable material solutions or emerging material solutions uh, are you most excited about? Is there something that you think, wow, this is, uh, this is really, really exciting what's coming up? What's coming up or was, was already, I mean, I mean, uh, what was really a really big achievement and maybe the biggest achievement what BSF ever did on mass balance was um, uh, last year, uh, the, the deal with, with, with Henke. Um, mm -hmm. Because we, uh, we sell roughly, I think, 100,000 tons of um, chemicals to, to, um, to Henke. I think there are I don't know, maybe thousands of products, just roughly, I don't know exactly the number, but really very, very complex. Yeah, They're going to cosmetics, they're going to detergents and industrial um, applications. And, and the target was to completely transform this portfolio to biomass balance. Yeah. And that was a real challenge. Yeah, I mean, first you need the feedstocks, because availability of feedstocks is still a, a big issue. Yeah. Then you need um, um, really a fully digitalized system also, <laughs> it comes to a place, yeah, to, uh, to know how much feedstock do I need to purchase in the end uh, to attribute it to the product. Yeah? And in an audible way um, that we get uh, a credible certification on that. Yeah? And then there was uh, many sites also involved. I would assume more than 10 sites, production sites, um, which are also interconnected. Yeah, so very complex, not only Lutex of one site. So there was 10 sites involved. Yeah, um, so that was really, really a big challenge uh, um, to cover that. And then also the supply chain for sure, where we had to hire many more people to achieve that uh, in the end. Um, Uh, that was a really a big, big um, thing what we what we did. So um, and also that received actually BSF Sustainability Award um, uh, in 2023. So this is why I'm mentioning. Um, and such innovations we need. We need such um, lighthouse projects um, that where you could prove that it works, that it's scalable. Yeah? Because currently mass balance is really nitty pretty small. In general, yeah, but who has proven that that it works in a 100,000 tons um, volume for one customer? I don't know any company, chemical company, yeah, who who has achieved that, and that was really great. And to be part of that big team, yeah, and it was, a, I can really tell you, it's I think it was maybe 30 people involved or core people involved. Yeah, I was one of them. Um, together with Henkel and Henkel the same. Yeah, we had the purchasing department, we had the, uh, the, the R&D department, we had uh, the LCA people there, we had the corporate sustainability people there, we had the marketing people also there. So um, you can imagine how complex it is to, to make that happen. Yeah? And, um, and so that you need tools for that, um, you need experts for that, you need a lot of passion And a lot of, um, yeah, um, not too much people who always put the finger into the wound uh, of risks and so on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you need really 
entrepreneurial people yeah who would like to to go forward and to change something yeah and uh, and it took us i think uh, two years to prepare this deal and um, and that was really a very big innovation coming to other innovations in future um, i think um, on the chemical recycling side so my home turf currently you know, it's uh, we have uh, 30 million tons of, of um, uh, plastic waste in Europe. Um, I think 18% is currently mechanically recycled. So there's a, a vast majority which is currently still landfilled and incinerated. So, and we know that mechanical recycling can expand and should be expanded. That's fully clear. And BSF is also using that uh, increasingly. But we need chemical recycling. And chemical recycling is not only pyrolysis and gasification, there are 15 different technologies. Sometimes one technology works only for one special plastic type. And sometimes technologies work for all plastic types, mixed plastic waste. The one or other one works only for, for monofraction. Yeah? So very, very complex. And um, so we need innovations in future and uh, with scalable um, chemical recycling, scalable, I mean, not uh, in a 3,000 tons uh, scale or a 10,000 ton scale, in a 50,000 ton scale or even a 100,000 ton scale. And uh, because when you want to uh, supply a steam cracker, the most important um, um, chemical plants, uh, we have 47 in Europe, and uh, the big ones have uh, today 2 million tons of capacity, 2 million tons of capacity. So how many uh, plants of 10,000 tons we have to build to, f to fill that, that steam cracker. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and if some, some people say, oh, how much waste can go into chemical recycling? It's maybe, let's say, 10 to 50 million tons, what currently the estimations are, yeah, uh, that can fill maybe then seven crackers. But we have 47 in Europe. Yeah. So there will be a lot of innovations still necessary, but that will be not enough. Yeah. So um, to really become fully circular. So that's uh, the recycling. So renewables, I, I expect that there will be much more innovations, also technology-wise. Um, CCU, maybe you've heard also, um, uh, carbon capture utilization. So CO2 to bring CO2 back into chemicals, methanol, for example. But it needs 10 times more energy. Yeah. So people say, oh, CCU is very good to carbon removal and so on. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. But we need 10 times more energy for that. And where does the energy coming from? Yeah. Then people say, oh, we have a lot of uh, areas still at the sea. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe you've heard about the BSF board, um, I think one of the largest offshore wind parks. Uh, in, in the Northern Sea, yeah, that's um, the area of 260 square kilometers. I could not believe it myself. yeah, um, And that generates the energy of 1% of the total German electricity consumption. Sounds good. yeah. Now, how much does a chemical site like Ludwigshafen needs? Exactly 1% of German electricity production. So this one wind park only covers Ludwigshafen. Yeah. So how much area do we need in offshore? It's also not possible. So and that only replaces conventional energy. Yeah. But it's not an additional one. Yeah. And we would need for CCU 10 times more. So I still I don't know where where why CCU can 
could be such playing such a big role. But um, but I think that for energy generation, I would also expect that we need more innovations and. Uh, Otherwise, the full transformation to become really 100% circular will be very challenging, at least, if not impossible. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that's, that's staggering. Like, such a big land mass or, or sea mass, really, uh, for just 1% that, that covers only Ludwigshafen. Like, well, and that's just, just Germany, right? <laughs> look at look at it internationally. That, that's going to cover a lot. Like, or it... it do you see other technologies that are more mature that we could utilize uh, instead of these these offshore uh, ones, for example? Uh, what, what about, what about um, just solar or more enough, like even nuclear? Um, any any ideas on those? Yeah, it has it's a good good question. Uh, probably I have not a good answer. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and because you need also an affordable energy generation. For the society, yeah, um, and um, think about, um, for example, Dow Chemical. Yeah, they said, "Oh, we want a decarbonized energy generation." Do you know what they have invested now, or, or, or announced what they will invest? They invest for their for their main site uh, um, in in the U.S. in an own nuclear power plant. Yeah. Oh wow! In our own nuclear power plant, either you you agree with that or not. Um, but on the on the one hand, I can understand them. On the other hand, I have also uh, think about Germany, and and we are also we were stepping out uh, uh, from nuclear power generation. Yeah, but if there is no alternative uh, for uh, generating huge amount of electricity, yeah, so what you should do, yeah. So I expect personally um, that um, we don't go for only wind and solar uh, energy that we, I think that we will have a mix like in future, maybe in the less cold, that's clear because that's for CO2 the worst thing, um, less probably natural gas. Um, but it could be even that nuclear power plants gets a, gets a revival, could be. Yeah. Uh, or there must be some new technology around which are currently not uh, um, um, uh, mature enough. Think about can fusion. I don't know the name in English now. Uh, what is that? Can fusion nucle nuclear fusion or something? Yeah. If you have, um, nuclear fusion. Yeah. I, nuclear fusion. I mean, who can say that in twenty years you have uh, the first planet? Nobody can say that. Yeah. Uh, there is a there is a uh, just an anecdote there is a, actually a physicist joke uh, regarding uh, nuclear fusion i don't know if you've heard about it yeah so if you ask a, a nuclear fusion physicist uh, how long does it take uh, until nuclear fusion is mature they will always say 50 years <laughs> Always. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very nerdy, I know it's a very nerdy, you know, physicist joke. But still, like, we're in a, in a plastics podcast, so we can have some nerdy jokes. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I've heard the same joke. And but the, I mean, there are good signs. There are there are really good signs of that moving on. But indeed, it's not not next year. It's not not next five or ten years. This is going to take a while. So uh, fingers crossed. Um, maybe moving back to the Henkel example, Christian. Uh, where are you now with that? Like, is it all done and dusted and deployed? What are the next steps? Is there anything you maybe learn from that that you're now doing with other other customers and other, other projects? Um, I think, sure, we have we have uh, more than one thousand five hundred uh, mass balance products already. Uh, our total portfolio is is uh, forty five thousand um, uh, products currently. Um, so, um, but you know, it's sustainable feedstocks always come also with additional costs. Yeah, and and the question is, when you make such a big deal. Uh, it's painful for both, for the manufacturer and for the brand. Yeah, and you have to find a brand who is willing, really to spend uh, this amount of money also for that. That's difficult. That's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for being with us, Christian, and uh, especially for the inspirational uh, discussion that we just had. 